These headphones are sized for Berg's head. <laughs> a little large. Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studio, I'm Bullhagen. I'm Trafficking. I'm Hamilton. And I'm Vicar. Welcome to the show. No Peter today. Pete, we're uh, meeting. We had a winkle today. And uh, any of you wanted to tell the, the people what a winkle is? Winkle comes from an old German word, as far as I can remember, and it means corner. Um, that's about all the history I know. Well, you know what? This is funny because, remember, you're sitting in Berg's chair. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you're going to have to know a lot more history. It, <laughs> we're going to need you to step up a little bit today. <laughs> well, it, it's actually really funny because the uh, Book of Concord condemns the Winkle masses um, specifically talking about the the Roman priests who would go into the corner and say their own masses privately. Um, but there are some winkles or circuits within our synod. The pastors do have the Lord's Supper, so technically speaking, they have winkle masses. Oh. So it means on the corner, it's basically, uh, if you have a Missouri Synod pastor, once a month he meets with the pastors of his circuit, and they usually they talk about uh, casuistry, Bill, would you, uh, Prafigan, would you like to discuss what casuistry is for uh, it, the listener? It, uh, in short, it basically means that if a pastor has a, uh, a difficult situation, um, that uh, after uh, prayer and reflection and studying his pastoral theology and examining the scriptures and calling a friend, he says, I'm still struggling with what to do and how to handle this. Uh, brothers, uh, we, uh, we confess the same thing. Uh, would you please enlighten me with your wisdom because I'm lacking today? And, uh, and so that's, that's the main purpose of the Winkle, is to uh, come together, to study together, and to, uh, to study, especially in light of those difficult things that we happen to be struggling with or not having um, the clarity um, with how to move forward on that particular issue. Um, and that's, that's very helpful for us. Uh, because if most pastors uh, in their parish, they're the only pastor. They don't have another pastor that they can ask. Um, and uh, that in-person communication, uh, the support to be um, to, uh, to even be rebuked um, or uh, simply to have another approach or another idea with something is really invaluable. And the idea behind it is that um, that the pastor is the uh, uh, he, he's the spiritual head of of that uh, congregation, uh, but he's not an island. He's not. Uh, uh, he's not there by himself. That uh, the uh, the whole church um, also is there to support that congregation and to help them, and they do so by helping uh, their pastor. And and uh, other things we do is we start off at ours. We start off with matins, and usually the pastor who hosts will preach the sermon he preached from the previous Sunday uh, for a couple of reasons. One is. Uh, it's not just being lazy, we're just going to do what we did last Sunday, but really it's good for the pastors to know, for me as a circuit visitor, what's being preached. So, um, And I usually ask that you preach the same sermon, that you don't like change it for what the pastors might like to hear. Like today's sermon, you heard me talk about the Lord's Supper. We didn't have the Lord's Supper. You heard basically what I preached on Sunday. So, And then the other, we talk about a, a reading for an upcoming text, and then we talk about uh, some sort of a confession study or something like that where we continue to talk about the issues. But it's just a, a good time to to uh, to go through those things. And we have something coming up that I think is pretty cool, and that is a circuit forum. Uh, what are your feelings on that, Hamilton, about the circuit forum? Have you ever had one like this before? Yeah, uh, I, I came from North Dakota before I took the call to Eldora. Uh, my circuit in southeast North Dakota, uh, we had every single year, we had a pastor-elder forum. It's a chance for, uh, as, as Pastor Traffigan was talking about, um, the pastors benefit greatly from Winkles. Uh, having a pastor-elder forum uh, allows the elders to have the same benefit, to talk to other elders from other congregations, to share the struggles that they have. Um, I think one of the greatest benefits that I've seen come out of it is the elders have a chance to hear from a pastor who isn't their own pastor. Um, that's that's a great benefit. Uh, my elders at St. Paul's have a, a great respect for me, as they ought to. Um, but 
they still appreciate hearing from other pastors. And for elders to hear from other elders as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's encouraging to hear that uh, the struggles that we as a congregation might be going through, we're not going through them alone. But uh, these sufferings are being borne by other Christians. And, and our topic, what we'll be talking about specifically, is on um, kind of coming out of this whole pandemic thing, how to get people back, why it's important to be in church rather than just doing some online thing, which is funny coming from a podcast. <laughs> But we do on the podcast always encourage people to talk to their own pastor and go to their own church. So, and if you noticed, I had a top 12 list last Sunday that I actually kind of used in my sermon um, about confronting doubt. So, um, and uh, I did bring a beverage if anybody wants one. Anybody want a, uh, a LaCroix uh, cherry lime? You can say no. We just had lunch. Well, you got something there anyways. What do you have there? What are you, what are you sipping on? I'm sipping on some uh, dihydromonoxide, some good, fresh dihydromonoxide. Oh, wow. Does that make you sick? You know, it is filled with a lot of chemicals. A lot of people are worried about that. Mm. Um, but it is very important. I hear it's in the water up here, so you be careful. I will. <laughs> and is that coffee? Someone having coffee? No. What is that? Soda. Soda? All right. Well, I got my... Uh... Nice. So, Vicar, to the listener, if they want to let us know what they're having today, we're thinking hold yeah, us. Well, they could let us know by email, which they get uh, feedback at clericalerrors.org. Uh, they can find us on Facebook, probably the faster way, facebook.com slash clericalerrorspodcast. Mm-hmm. And apparently we still have Twitter. At we, me, bro. Yeah. Yeah. At clericalerrorsp. The piece for podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Do we even check the Twitter? Oh, yeah. I'm all over the tweets. Okay. Our TikTok uh, has not been updated in a long time. Good. Working on that. That's probably a good thing. So, uh, Bill, does your church have a tic- TikTok account? Uh, we do not. Okay. Sadly. I do have a clock on my desk that makes that noise. Is that the same thing? You know, I was just thinking that, you know, we talked a little about confirmation, memory work and stuff. What if we did a catechism TikTok channel? Have We're like have a part of the catechism on TikTok? We'd have to talk to a publishing house to get rights to do that. Oh, what if we do our own translation? Oh. All right. Vicar, work on that. Okay. Cutting edge. <laughs> All right. So, Vicar, what are we preaching on? You're preaching. I haven't seen your sermon yet. It's probably horrible. So I haven't seen I... my sermon yet either. Right. So please tell me what you're yeah. preaching so on because uh, I'm waiting yeah. to know what on earth you're preaching about this Sunday. So it's thir- getting... Third Sunday after Easter. So the, the gospel reading is John 10, 11 to 16. A very well-known Good Shepherd passage. And what does it say? It's a nice and short one. Uh, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. Uh, He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father... And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So do you guys have your sermon ready yet? Oh, yeah. I usually have my sermon done by Tuesday. (laughs) I thought that's what the sermon hymn was for. (laughs) Oh, the very spirit-led then. That's right. It's more meaningful to people when you don't prepare, I've noticed. Absolutely. It's meaningful for them. Uh, maybe not for us. <laughs> so when you think, when you, because uh, obviously you've preached on this before, so you have opinions on the text, right? So because this is a behind the collar, what kinds of things when a pastor hears this, does a pastor think about? Before you apply it to other people, what does a pastor, when they hears this text, because I know like one thing I think about is, is, uh, um, how, and people may not understand how a pastor as an under-shepherd in a way reflects that same thing. A pastor is not a hired hand, even though you give him a salary. He is uh, someone who ultimately is willing to go through a lot of things uh, to give you that message. So most pastors that I know, uh, they try to avoid COVID, for example, 
But does that keep them from doing their job? No. I mean, as some of us have already had it, right? Am I the only one in here who has not had the COVID yet? Wow. Yeah. You're the last survivor. Now, that would be funny if like... Uh, <laughs> Based off of this... Hamilton uh, wanted to join COVID. us today. However... <laughs> No, to, to get back to the text, though, uh, I find great comfort in this text, uh, really based off of what you were talking about as a pastor. I'm n- Pastor in Latin means shepherd. While I am called pastor, I am not the good shepherd. That's Jesus. I am simply the one who is sent by Jesus to care for and tend his flock. One of my favorite paintings for this is, uh, I believe it's done by Ed Riojas, um, it's the uh, shepherd dog where he depicts Christ um, as the good shepherd, and then you have the shepherd dog. It's a great illustration that uh, pastors really are just sheep dogs who go and do the bidding of the good shepherd to go bring them into good pasture according to his word, not to bite the sheep, but to gently lead them, but maybe sometimes growl a little bit if they get out of hand. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's where we uh, first have to start is uh, if Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, um, uh, he is uh, the head of the church. Uh, he is the one who has bought and paid uh, for the sheep. Uh, he's the one who has protected them with his life. Um, and uh, while we uh, generally in this text, we uh, 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 first and foremost see uh, the great shepherd and the sheep um, that uh, um that the pastor also has to find comfort uh, in being a dear lamb of Christ um, and recognizing that we're under his protection and authority. And then uh, and then from there, you can also uh, see, well, what is, what is the vocation of a pastor? Um, he's not a hired hand. Uh, he actually does uh, care for the sheep. Um, even when, uh, even, even when things might be a little rough, um, uh, whether that be you know financial or whether there's uh, COVID um, or whatever uh, the crisis might be, that uh, there, there's comfort there in saying, uh, look, I'm I'm not here uh, as long as there's money uh, to pay me. I'm here because the Lord has sent me here, and here's his sheep who need his word, uh, who need his sacrament, and that's and that's what I'll give them. And uh, the other things we might have to figure some of those things out together, and uh, the Lord will provide uh, through this as well. Um, but uh, first and foremost, we have to fix our eyes um, on the first point that Jesus is uh, the good shepherd, and then we can all find um, our place and safety um, under his protection and care. Very good. So, Vicar, w- w- we've heard what pastors think. <laughs> what does the vicar think? <laughs> I mean, I'll admit, when I was looking at this, because this is what I'm going to get to preach on, I was wondering, it's like, when, when he says he's the good shepherd, what does that really mean? And all I could hear was that line from, you know, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, you know, yeah, he, you know, he's not tame, but he's good. And it's like, you know, he, he's the shepherd, like, you know, like we were saying, you know, he, with the, the sheepdogs, like, yeah, he leads them gently. He's sometimes maybe a little rough with them, but he's also willing to fight for them. And there's another really interesting picture I saw of the good shepherd where he's holding one of the wayward lambs and surrounding him are about five or six wolves. The look on Jesus' face is not calm, polite, peaceful. He he's ready to crack them over the head. And so th- this idea of the good shepherd isn't just, you know, what we hear think of immediately with Psalm twenty three. It's also, you know, he's ready to defend his flock to the death. So so what you're saying is, uh, the good shepherd is kind of a reference of Jesus of what he is rather than what he isn't. Well, what I mean by that is, he's patient. He's loving, he leads us, but it doesn't mean that he's just this quiet. Yeah, he, he's not passive. He's not passive, right. As lovely as a, a of a text that it is, don't don't mistake that for softness, bro. Yeah. Yeah. And and the old testament <laughs> reading that sometimes sorry, sometimes gentlemen, sometimes the hip hop just comes out of me once yeah. once in a while. You're just so really, hip and relevant. Yeah. Really takes me back a couple decades. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the Old Testament reading helps with that because that's that's Ezekiel 34 where he talks about, you know, I will rescue them from all places they've been scattered on day of cloud and and deep darkness. You know, I, I kind of picture he's going out in the middle of a storm to find that one wayward sheep. Even even 20, the 23rd Psalm is people, oh, it's a gentle thing. No, actually what's happening, he is uh, preparing you in the midst of death, right? 
Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. It's, it's a one that, because I have a shepherd, I don't fear death itself. Now, that's not necessarily a genteel thing, right? That's, that's something that we really miss. Uh, I think we miss the great comfort that Christ gives us when he says that I am the good shepherd because the modern church is so feminized. Um, the saints in my congregation have done a wonderful job decorating and appointing uh, the nave and the chancel with beautiful stained glass windows. But I will confess that one of the beautiful stained glass windows is that rather effeminate looking Jesus walking through a great pristine green valley and uh, he has clean clothes on and the sheep are gently following him and he's carrying a nice pretty lamb. Um, I've, I've spoken with a few shepherds. I've spoken with a few cattle farmers. My favorite, uh, favorite quote from a cattle farmer is, if you've ever tried to be like Jesus in those pictures and you try to throw a male calf over your shoulder, you quickly realize how wrong that picture is because you have something running down your back. <laughs> Which is why, as a, as a shepherd myself, as a pastor, I clang and bang in the weight room. You were waiting for that. No, I, I was. Now, now I have a was. question. Now, I, Berg and I kind of have this theory, okay? Because you're in Iowa now. Yes. I have a theory that did the podcast pay a little bit of a influence on you coming to, to Iowa? I will say that I am here in Iowa despite the podcast. Okay. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I had to call you saying, hey, we just called you as a pastor here in Eldora. Yeah, I thought that you were going to trick me and put me on the podcast right then and there. I'm thankful you didn't. <laughs> and, and do you have any special shout outs you'd like to make? Well, I believe uh, probably the best shout out that I can make is to the giver of life to me. Uh, hello, dearest father. Because he, he's a big fan, isn't it? Absolutely. Avid listener. Uh, as he's listening to this, he's out in the middle of nowhere, probably about 5.30, 5.20 in the morning, uh, making his daily four-mile walk. So watch out for that skunk, Dad. <laughs> I, I knew he was because at your installation, we had a, an episode that came out at 7 o'clock in the morning instead of 5 o'clock in the morning. I had no, no who, who, idea who this guy was. I think he might have called me Bullhagen. I'm not sure. He said, and he goes, hey, your your podcast was late this morning. I missed it on my walk. Oh. Yeah, it is like clockwork, his walk. And then, and then my wife had to hear from me. You know, someone pulled me aside, you know. <laughs> Anyways, anything else you want to need to work out? Because we, we're here to help your sermon, Vicar. I, I've, got, I've got the outline kind of figured out because I've played around with that. You know, what makes the shepherd good? And that imagery, as, I, as I'm looking through the history with, with the with the term shepherd and with its usage, and was I found I think it was a quote from might have been Aristotle that about how shepherds are basically just lazy. They're, they're kind of like the dregs of society, and it's like that sounds like how people might describe a cowboy. It's like he, he's brash, he's bold, he doesn't care about polite society. He goes kind of just wherever he wants, you know. And it's like here's this savior describing himself as you know the first century equivalent to a cowboy. And how does that make any sense? And okay, he's good, but what's that mean? I mean, you know, he he rescues his flock, he takes them to safety, he's providing for them, he sacrifices for them. So it's it's maybe a bit more of an active look at the shepherd instead of the passive shepherd. Okay. Well, you're well. I can't wait to see your sermon. Me too. <laughs> you should probably be working on it right now, but I pulled I you am. in here. That's kind of what I'm doing, right? <laughs> Fleshing it out a little bit. There's also something that, that I think that we ought to see is um, if some, sometimes people think about um, they they think about God being far away and being uh, safe uh, safe in heaven and uh, sometimes they uh, th might even think about their pastor that way too. They uh, think about well, well, pastor's sitting there in his office and you know if we uh, if we need him we can we can go to him. Uh, but when we, we talk about shepherds, uh, shepherds are where the sheep are. Um, and they come to them where they're in distress, and not just if it's a hospital visit, but you know what? If somebody's having a having a really bad day, or their family has fallen apart, uh, or there's some uh, tragedy that has uh, come upon their family, well, call your pastor, and you know he'll come to your home. 
almost nobody makes home visits anymore in any profession, but it used to be that, you know, doctors would do that and so forth. And now uh, we have to go to, uh, we have to go to um, uh, their office if we, if we need to see them. Or I guess now uh, with uh, COVID, we have a lot of online uh, visitation that now happens in our home too. But uh, the, uh, the image I think there is, uh, is very, um, is very concrete um, that, uh, that the pastor is there where the sheep are, that he suffers the things that they suffer. Um, and, uh, and then we see, especially our Lord in the midst of this, that not only is he there, uh, but then he suffers, uh, worst of all, he suffers the thing, uh, death to, uh, to spare all of the sheep, um, that death. Um, and so there's kind of a, there's kind of a robust, concrete, earthy image there, I think, um, rather than just, you know, the, 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 the cute, uh, uh, cute Jesus and the cute little lamb and, oh, isn't it wonderful? Well, um, it's a, it's a lot more serious and earthy than that. Right. He's a shepherd that's willing to stab someone in the neck for you, basically. <laughs> There's your sermon. There's your ser- I just wrote your sermon for you, gentlemen. Put that down as your sermon title, Vicar. I already got a sermon title, possibly, but yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. We'll f- Mine sticks with you, though, Vicar. You see? Uh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> the good shepherd and a knife. That's right. Sh- shouldn't, shouldn't the dad jokes be for a Father's Day sermon? Oh, I don't tell dad jokes. All mine are relevant. I still father jokes. Hey, guys, you, you can laugh in the microphone. This is an audio medium. We're not laughing. Oh. I'm gasping for air. All right, so uh, hmm, I don't have a top 12 list, so I'm going to have to come up with a top 12 list on the fly. You guys up for that? A top 12 list on the fly. We're already down the rabbit hole. Let's go. All right. Peter. Play the intro. <laughs> right. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. I figured let's do, uh, we've already talked about the text. Let's just give, uh, go around the table here, give 12 sermon themes on the text. Okay. <laughs> you guys up for that? Not all of us are old enough to have preached 12 sermons on this text. And some of us are so old we can't remember what we preached last year or the year before. Or last Sunday. Yeah. And you are. <laughs> yeah, that's the nice thing about getting older. You meet new people every day. It's great. <laughs> Got to hide my own Easter eggs. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Until you get the rotten egg smell. So we're going to do uh, a top 12 list, top 12 sermon themes based on this text. Number 12. Who is willing to die for you? It's a good way of explaining, especially for our young people, right? Who, who? oh, this person cares for me, that person cares for me, or this is really meaningful. Well, we're seeing with COVID, who really is willing to die for you? And, the, and not only that, wasn't Christ willing to lay down his life for you already? So who is it that you can trust? Ultimately, the one who laid down his life for you, our Lord. Number 11. He isn't a hired hand. Kind of playing off of the same theme that Jesus isn't just going to run away. He isn't afraid. He isn't just in it for the paycheck. He's there to give you and deliver salvation to you in the muck and the mire and all the dangerous situations. Number 10. Who is good except God alone? Uh, Playing off... um, uh, play, playing off the idea that uh, no one is actually good to us um, except God, um, and he, uh, he does so without any merit or worthiness in us. Um, and him being the good shepherd um, is, is very, very significant because all other shepherds fail us in some way. Um, they disappoint us. Um, they might even uh, you know, certainly neglect us, but maybe even um, abuse or sin against us. Um, and the good shepherd doesn't do any of those things. Number nine. Uh, the good shepherd is a bad shepherd. <laughs> what do you think I mean by that? Well, one is, okay, are you a good shepherd if, like, you throw yourselves to wolves and die? Is that, is that, it's kind of misguided. Yeah, the, the only way that Jesus could be considered the good shepherd, being willing to die for his sheep, is if after he dies, he comes back to life. That's true. And so, and, and actually, the, the parables do this all the time, and is, is a discussion of, of 
of uh, how irrational grace is, whether it's a dishonest manager or whether it's a, 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 a Samaritan uh, helping out someone on the side of the road when the people who should wouldn't, whether it's a ridiculous love of a father welcoming home his son, you know. And uh, really, he is a good shepherd, but to lay down your life for sheep, is that, you know, he, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shepherd that is so good it defies logic. Yeah, it's almost as foolish as a shepherd who would leave 99 good and safe sheep to dangerous wolves just to find one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good shepherd, but it's also, I mean, you know, sometimes a hired hand would make more sense. <laughs> Number eight. The good shepherd, he will find you. Ooh. You can't run away from the good shepherd. This is really taking off of the Old Testament text from Ezekiel 34, uh, where the Lord says, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Number seven. I, I, have, I, I, I need to get the wording right, but I think there, there's obviously a theme of love, the love of the good shepherd, because uh, true love does not think of the self. It thinks of another. And so the good shepherd is willing to sacrifice all that he is, all that he has for the sake of the sheep. And, and that is the definition of love, of not thinking of yourself first, but thinking of others. And it is with that kind of love, the good shepherd sure loves us, then in turn teaches us how to love. Because the only way you could ever truly love is by the gospel. Not loving for the sake of receiving, but loving because they need your help. Number six. Uh, the good shepherd uh, is not a hired hand, but uh, actually, uh, this could be shortened up, but actually pays uh, with his own life for the sheep. And so he's not, uh, uh, he's not uh, put out there to say, hey, here's the sheep, guard them for a while, um, and in exchange, um, we'll give you a, a couple of shekels for this. Um, no, he actually uh, goes out there willingly, um, not, um, not to gain uh, some money, but actually uh, to gain a holy people um, to wash them in his blood um, and to, uh, to uh, gain that uh, by laying his life down for them. Number five. The good shepherd has one flock. Uh, this is right at the end of the text. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that we have to struggle with today is the fact that there are so many different denominations. Uh, when we preach this text, we have to make sure that while we emphasize there is one flock, that we don't turn into some weak sort of universalist, everything goes, it doesn't really matter. But there is still one flock, and the defining characteristic of that one flock is that the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. They hear his voice, they listen, and they obey, because they know that with him, they are protected. With him, they have salvation. And that, that then gets into the heart of God's word. Absolutely. And having a, uh, the, the people uh, be able to recognize when it is the voice of the shepherd speaking and when the voice of the shepherd is not speaking. Because with all those denominations, you have a lot of people speaking for Jesus and saying many things that Jesus never actually said. Exactly right. Uh, one of my favorite illustrations that I heard from a, a lady who grew up with sheep just outside of her home was that uh, her sheep, whenever they heard her walking out of her front door, they could hear her and they would always run from the other side of the, uh, the fence, the fenced in area and run straight up to her. If, her, uh, if other people from the family were walking out, they didn't run out to her or to them. They ran out just to her because they heard her voice. One, one time I uh, was trying to make a small talk with a member and I said, oh, I really like your sheep. And she said, those are goats. A <laughs> little different. Yeah. By the way, uh, off of, before we get to number uh, three... Uh, we talk, you know, I have ADD. I jump around. It's okay. Behind the collar. Sometimes parts are moving quick. Um, and that is, uh, we talked early about home visits. Cause I just want to get back to that just a second. Cause I didn't, I don't know. I was going to say something. I didn't. So can you gentlemen explain 
how important home visits are to the pastor. You know, it, one, I can say, for example, it helps our preaching. You know, two, I, I asked you a question, I start answering. Go ahead. I do the same thing in my Bible class. No, I, I think, especially for me coming into, I've been serving at St. Paul's for, you guys can, well, no, you can't do math and keep track of numbers. Um, so I've been studying, or <laughs> studying, I've been, I've been serving at St. Paul's for about six months now, um, and it is difficult to get into the congregation and get to know people during this COVID time. Um, but at least me personally, it, when I go and do a home visit, it gives me a chance to connect with that person on a one-to-one basis. I can uh, more easily attach some of the, the things that they tell me, their life story or something like that. And as, as you said, Bullhagen, that that definitely helps my preaching. Um, I came from North Dakota uh, from serving five years in a parish up there. Midwest, yes, but the struggles that they have up there are a little different, and it does help me relate quite a bit better to, to the people here in Iowa, sitting down, drinking coffee with them, and uh, hearing hearing about their, their life. Because every every person in the congregation, I guarantee you, remembers the last time the pastor was in their house. Well, yeah, and uh, but also I think this kind of reveals something that um, I, I remember uh, talking to a number of people and they say, I've never had a pastor uh, come to my house. I've, I've never had a home visit. They don't even know what it is. Um, they're not necessarily opposed to it, but um, there's this, uh, when, when you look at this text in John 10, um, the idea is, is that the, the shepherd and the sheep are there together. Um, and yes, we come together and receive God's gifts of the divine service, uh, but that's not the only thing there is in the Christian life. Um, and we really ought to think about um, the pastor um, as, as more than what we just see in the divine service. And I think that that's one of the important things with the home visit is that, um, you know, the reverence and the holiness that we see in the divine service um, if that's all you ever saw of your pastor, um, then you might think that he's kind of weird. <laughs> and you'd probably be right about that, but yeah. maybe not for that reason. Um, uh, I, I would say it wouldn't be the first time I thought the pastor was weird. <laughs> uh, I, I've heard it said this way, that the homegoing pastor makes for a church-going congregation. Um, we, one of the biggest things and one of the biggest concerns nowadays, uh, I can't remember the numbers from the Pew Research Study, that now less than a majority of the United States is a church-going people. Um, so everybody's wringing their hands about what are we going to do to bring these people into church. Uh, one of the best things that we can do is to go and visit them, specifically for what Trafficking says is uh, pastors can often be seen, um, especially well-educated pastors like we are, um, and maybe the vicar. Um, I'm not sure yet. <clears throat> but uh, we'll, we'll see how the sermon goes first. <laughs> <laughs> He's a cowboy. But uh, one of the one of the the terrible things that people think about well-educated pastors is that we're just ivory tower theologians. Um, but we aren't just sitting in our office uh, thinking and pontificating on high. Uh, we really need to be out there with our people. Sometimes we're, we're freak factory theologians. Throwback. If you don't listen to the show, Bill, you're not going to understand what that means. Um, so, uh, another thing I would say is, is that, uh, that it, it helps a pastor, um, down the road because let's say I've been into someone's house. Okay. And I've got made that connection. Well, well, then when I see them in the hospital, it's not going to be foreign to them. Or if their spouse has died and I go back to their home, it's it's a comfortable space. It's not like, oh, no, pastor's here. I'm all nervous. He's coming to my house. Well, I've already been there. I know where you live. I know where to sit. I know where the bathroom is when I need it. And and so uh, a trafficking said earlier, uh, sometimes people say, my pastor's never been in my house. If, if a member says, you know what, the pastor's never been in my house, that's a you problem. <laughs> Have you invited your pastor into your house? Are you waiting by your, your phone, twiddling your thumb? Oh, I wish the pastor would come see me. Shucks, I'm lonely. Yeah, phones do work both ways. You are able to dial numbers just as well as you can answer them. Right. Yeah, I think I think there's two reasons, uh, at least two reasons for this. Um, on, on the one hand, there's... Uh, I guess some anxiety, like, well, I've never had a pastor come to my house. If I invited him, I don't know what we would do. 
<laughs> and what if what if we don't start having a great conversation? Well, that's going to be really awkward and uncomfortable. And then, you know, after he leaves, then we still have to go to church right. and they have to see each other. And boy, that that's just going to increase the awkwardness yeah. and it might forever change our relationship. Um, the, the other thing that I sometimes hear is, well, pastor, we know that you're busy. Um, and so I know that you can't come by the house, but, um, but actually I don't know any pastor who's ever received a phone call and said, Hey pastor, do you, do you have some time sometime this week that you could uh, stop by my house and we could visit? Um, that's the most wonderful thing, um, uh, for any pastor to hear because, um, it affirms, uh, it affirms the relationship and they value the ministry. And maybe they have a question they want to ask you, or maybe they, they have something they want to confess. Um, and uh, uh, the home visit is so important for that. But uh, I, I think maybe that's one of the things that pastors, we ought to be kind of aware of when we talk about being busy before our congregations. I mean, that's true. There's always more that we can do. Um, but um, if we are constantly putting it out there, well, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Well, guess what? People aren't going to call you right. if they you, think you're too busy. Right. It's, it's, it's Speaking on behalf of pastors, I will say it is no bother to us. We would rather get phone calls. Please, can you come visit with me? That's, that is never a bother. That is always a joy. And and if you're worried about the awkward small talk, that's what vicars are for. <laughs> They've mastered that. <laughs> also, don't wait until there's an emergency to call your pastor. I, I'm perfectly happy to go, um, no matter how busy I am, I'm perfectly happy to go to somebody's house. If things are going perfectly fine, if there's no big deal and you just want yeah. to get to know your pastor. It's kind of like, do you, what if you only went, I mean, it's not very cost effective to only go to the doctor when you have a toothache, a dentist when you have a toothache, right? You know? Check up with your pastor is a good thing now and again. So so I know we, we've kind of got off the topic, but since I had some pastors here, I thought I would give you the opportunity to talk about that. Uh, anything else to say? Or should we go to number three? Four? Number four. Okay, how about this? Uh, it's another I am statement. Right? So you can talk about the... The great I am. The great I am, which... Um, I actually had in my Easter service sermon because I had to, all right, I did rhyme the first half of my sermon. I'm not going to say it was a rap. With or without music? Without music. Darn. That, by the way, may be why I requested your sermon from this last Sunday for the Winkle service. (laughs) Good choice. (laughs) You're welcome, Bill. So, yes, you have uh, not only is he the shepherd, the I am is your shepherd, the one who leads you and guides you is God. The one who is your shepherd is the one who created the world. The one who is your good shepherd was is eternal. So he knows, and yet he chooses to, to lead you and guide you as a gentle shepherd. And so so there there is number four. Okay, guys, we're stretching. We got three more. We got this? Number three. Vicar, you haven't given us ah uh, one yet. How about much less several? Yeah. How, how about uh, kind of branching off on the imagery that this will end up being? You know, you know, a lamb is the best shepherd because elsewhere Christ is described as the Lamb of God, mm. and being the shepherd who leads from the middle of the flock, who's one of us. How better? How better is he one of us than to? literally be human with us. So so kind of like kind of, a, kind of almost the flip side of the I am statement. Or or um, a priesthood type of thing yeah. where a priest is one of us. Yeah. who speaks for a one of us as one of us, Jesus being man, uh, uh is the one who who saves us. Okay. Number 2. You aren't the only sheep. And what I mean by that is that you are not alone. You are with the rest of the flock. Um, Jesus is saying uh, here that there are sheep that are not of this fold, which is also comforting to us. Uh, Sometimes uh, pastors and congregations can be a little myopic and just turn inward and look at our own struggles. Uh, Part of what we were talking about Mm -hmm. with the Pastor Elder Forum, um, that we do get to look at uh, other sheep of other folds. And even whether it's the congregation or the personal level, it is helpful to recognize that there are other sheep that Jesus is caring for. That, that's a great point because I think we can be awfully pessimistic, okay? And I'm, you, I'm, you guys know me well enough. I'm not a very pessimistic person. I'm, I'm usually on the, the, You're very sun, upbeat. I'm the sunny side of life, yeah. Um, all, all of that rapping keeps you in tune with things here. 
Oh, yeah. So, DJ Bullhagen dropping the beats. <laughs> so, so, the point I want to make is that we get so pessimistic. We think, oh, churches are getting smaller. You mentioned how many, what percentage of people are going to church and all those things. And most people would have the assumption that Christianity is getting smaller and slowly dying. Yes, you could say that it's getting smaller if you're just dealing with uh, people who look like us in America. If you go to Africa, what's happening? If you, you know, I mean, there are way more Lutherans in Africa. Right. The the largest Lutheran church body is, I believe, Makani Yesu. Um, and then very close behind that may be the Malagasy Lutheran Church in Madagascar. Yeah. Uh, there are millions and millions of Lutherans alone uh, being uh, brought to uh, brought to the faith. And in places where it's even more dangerous to be a Christian, where you have also uh, Muslims, you know, trying to wreak havoc and threaten them and kill them. Right. You know, uh, Christianity is growing quite a bit. And it's growing from people who actually have no trouble believing that the miraculous of the Bible actually happened. <laughs> who, who hear the word of God and when they, they think of some of the struggles we go through and they go like, well, what do you mean? This isn't what the Bible says? You know? Yeah, and, and, and some of the growth there is, um, it's, I mean, we, we would be so delighted, you know, if you take like the average Lutheran parish, you know, if you had, uh, if you had three families walk through the door on Sunday and they each had, you know, three or four kids, you, you'd, you'd be overjoyed to be like, hey, our church is growing. This is like the best thing that's ever happened to us. Um, and that's a very small, uh, that's a very small number. And, you know, we pray for that and we want that, uh, but we don't always see that happening. Uh, but just the sheer numbers with like our friends over in Ethiopia, um, my my wife was there and she came back and you know she gave me she gave me numbers and I saw this presentation. It's just like, you know, they grew like fifty percent over the course of like three or four years just as total membership. And they said that we need to train uh, ten thousand pastors more than what we have in the next five years. And you know, our little world of the Missouri Synod. I mean, what do we have? Like eight thousand pastors total. <laughs> And see, that is the thing, because we get so caught up in our own little world. And, and uh, you know, are those souls any less precious? Seriously, think about that. We act like it is. You know, it's kind of like, oh, we have the prized suburban family coming to join our church. Oh, am I wrong? Well, I got wrong here. That's what I thought. No, that, that's that's right. And... This is this is part of the nature of being sheep, though, right? That there's other sheep that are not of this fold, but the ones that I see here, I see that this I see this little fold is getting smaller and smaller and less populated, and uh, there's there's actually a lot of fear, um, there's doubt, as you've mentioned before, um, and we spend a lot of time uh, worried about that. And I think that we need to like look at reality and see see what's happening. And I mean, these and are plans. your but, brothers and sisters. What unites us? The blood of Christ, Jesus. Our shepherd, it's the same. We're the same. It's the same kingdom of heaven. I mean, so, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little preachy here, but. Isn't that your job? I suppose. Like, just sometimes I get a little frustrated. Can we get over ourselves and realize some of this stuff? Right. Well, and if you look throughout, if you look throughout history, kingdoms have risen and fallen. Christianity has, uh, has uh, increased and become more prominent in one area and then uh, you know, over a period of time, it declines. And those are very natural. Um, uh, I, I shouldn't say natural, but those are historic trends that have occurred in every place in the world. And f there's there's something really wrong with us if we think that Christianity in our country is somehow going to be different. So do you want to be on the right side of history? <laughs> that was in my sermon today. Yeah, and it was a good sermon. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that's... That, that's kind of the thing for sheep. You know, I don't know anything about, you know, how far sheep can see, but it's not very far. Even if, you know, even if they can see for 10 miles, yeah. you know, that still means that you can their, only see what's... Uh, their eyesight is pretty bad. That joke was bad. <laughs> uh, but we need, we, need to, uh, we, we need to think and say, here's, um, here's where God has placed me. Um, and here's how he is working among us. Uh, but he's also working uh, in every other place in the world. Uh, the gospel has gone out. He has established his church. He has caused his word to be preached um, in every corner of the world. 
Um, and even uh, and even if Christianity was completely stomped out here, um, uh, it can be brought once again uh, by missionaries from other countries uh, back to this place once again. And, and you've seen that throughout history. And uh, if Jesus uh, uh, does not come back, uh, you know, today or tomorrow, that'll probably happen here too. And here's the other thing that we have to remember as well. Even if it gets to the point that, God forbid, there are only there actually is a shrinking number of Christians in the world, that the church is under worldwide persecution. The church is never shrinking. Because we always, we Lutherans have this great theology of the church triumphant as well, that those who have gone before us in the faith are members of the church. The church can never shrink because those people are still in Christ's church. That's, a, that's another great point. By the way, random thought. You're talking about wolf in sheep's clothing, and I had this random thought that I like to share. Is wouldn't that you guys have kids, right? Yeah, wouldn't that be a great Halloween costume? Now I want you to think about this. All right, talk about is there anything scarier than a wolf in sheep's clothing? Right. So my point is, just think of all the object lessons you can use your children as mission outreach and object lessons by doing things like on Halloween, dressing them up as wolf in sheep's clothing. And so when your neighbor goes, Hamilton, what is that? Well, let me tell you about. So I'm just trying to figure out how how that costume would work. Okay, here's what you do. Dress them like a wolf, and then you put sheep's clothing on them. You see? I can draw a picture if you'd like. Please do. (laughs) <laughs> the listener would be very interested in hearing the picture. Okay. In order for this to be really effective outreach, though, that also means that Hamilton has to dress up like a sheep. Or a shepherd, if he wants. You're assuming I don't already do that. There's a reason we don't come to visit very often. Is that going to be the <laughs> opening hymn, by the way? I just want to be a sheep. Ba 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 ba. I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're Sadducee. so sad, you see. Or a hypocrite. Because they're not hip with it. Or a Canaanite. Because they raise Cain all night. Yeah, pretty close. I don't actually know that hymn as well as you do. Well, I am pretty amazing. We all have something to work on, (laughs) Hamilton. (laughs) And I have many. All right, number one. Vicar, what is the number one? We are all waiting, okay. every one of us, three pastors, for the wisdom of one vicar. And number one. The shepherd brings the flock to somewhere good. Because in, all, cause in you know, the Old Testament reading, the psalm in the New Testament, it talks about you know, taking them to safety, especially like that imagery in Psalm 23, mm-hmm. the, the green pastures, you know, contrasting to the valley of death. It's like, where is that good place? It's not some physical location. You know, this, there's a reason this is third Sunday after Easter. This is still about Christ defeating death and opening up eternity in heaven for us. Yeah. And he feeds us. I just remember that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. We did it. You got another 12 in you? <laughs> there's one episode I did all 12 by myself. Good night. That was the best episode of this podcast. (laughs) All right. uh, I think, let me see here. I think we might have an email for us to go through. If you guys could see Bullhagen check email, it is a sight to behold. All right. (laughs) It's better than watching golf. So we had this, uh, uh, Vicar, you're better at reading than I am. You want to read this? This is from someone named Michael. We never addressed this, and I tried reading it, and I didn't understand it because I'm less of a nerd than you, Vicar. So, okay. So go ahead. It's yeah, that ju- start yeah. there where it says, so "Yeah, just listen to Ring of Terror, so a previous episode, and enjoyed your discussion about the reliability of translations. I use a slightly different take that you may find helpful. I use the analogy of movies." Okay. When most people think of the different Bible translations, they think of it like a movie remake, which King Kong is accurate. The 1933 RKO version with Fay Ray 
1978 Universal Pictures version with Jeff Bridges and produced by Dino De Laurentiis, or the 2005 Universal Pictures version directed by Peter Jackson and starring Jack Black. But that is the wrong way to think of it. Bible translations aren't a retelling of the story, a rewrite of the script. Instead, they are transcribing the story into our language in the same way that over the years, each of these films has been updated to play on more recent technology. How can we know that when we buy the DVD of the 1933 King Kong, we have what RKO actually released? I mean, it was originally on 35mm film and has since been put into a video disc. Betamax, VHS, Laserdisc, DVD, and now even streaming formats. After all those different versions, how can you possibly know that what you have is anywhere even close to what Marin Cooper and Ernest, I'm just far enough away from the screen, is it Shodasak? <laughs> Procured in, produced in 1933. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get comments on that later, huh? Because each and every one of these versions went back to the original film and simply recorded the format for the current technology. That's all that a Bible translation does. It uses the original languages and records it in a language we understand. I hope you find that analogy helpful when talking about the topic with others. You forgot the best part. Oh. Love the show. Yeah, love the show. Keep up the good work. <laughs> that poor soul. All right. So uh, um, because of Vicar's reading, Peter, I know you're, you're listening to this on the fly. Yeah, he's going to want to speed that up. Could you put some fun music behind it? That would be awesome. Just put some fun music behind it. Maybe, that would maybe be... something from the 1933 King Kong? Yeah. No, no, no. Just put some fun music. Just for me. One thing I've noticed is music makes everything better. So um, so what do you guys think of the example? From uh, This is by a pastor, by the way. Um, there was more than one King Kong. Uh, I got a little distracted by that, but that's okay. So, So he's basically saying... Yeah. The Bible translations aren't the, the remake. It's not the different versions of King Kong. It's the same King Kong version, just updated to a different technology. Is that the analogy he's making? I think so, yeah. Yes. I, I think that's absolutely accurate. I mean, you do have... Um, I do think that there are some, uh, maybe not translations, but the, the paraphrases that do try to remake the right. scriptures. Uh, so that like people like me, language. when we watch it, it's like, okay, Bullhagen... This what's really going on is King Kong is really strong, and because you're stu- stupid to understand this, we're going to explain this King Kong movie in a way that you understand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, they don't actually allow the scriptures to uh, to speak. Instead, they explain everything for you. They steal away the Holy Spirit almost. Well, one thing where where uh, I think the mo- movie analogy might not work is the fact that. One struggle I have with with movies of scripture, for example, is the fact that you have to add just because it's visual. You have to you don't know what it was like, so you you have to add certain emotions, uh, facial expressions, how people reacted, how people heard it, all sorts of things that the scripture doesn't say anything about. So it's really all about the artist's interpretation of those things, right. which is an an artist's work. It's not what the scripture says. Right. We were talking about that in Winkle. Um, I believe it was Paul Beisel was talking about how uh, whenever we portray Christ in films, he always ends up being very flat and wooden. Uh, he's either really, really buddy-buddy or whatever we want Jesus. Uh, he, he turns into a wax nose. But... Um, I know. Well, and and, and there's, um, ju- I mean, just from the data we have in the Gospels, not to mention everything else um, from the Scriptures about um, how God is. Uh, when 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 you see Jesus throughout the Scriptures, you know, at one point, uh, at one point, he's uh, you know uh, picking up the children and saying, "Don't hinder them and let them come." And then at another point, you know, he's driving out people out from the temple with a whip. Um, and how do you, you know, to uh, to portray that character? Uh, if you will, um, in uh, in film, uh, to have that depth um, and sophistication and complexity, uh, you can't you can't do that without having the whole having having all of those events because the setting is different. And to try to then uh, kind of incorporate that and just look narrowly at one place 
Um, it, it just it just doesn't work. As as opposed to art, for example, where it's not necessarily a moving picture, but it, an art piece of art which will add certain meaning things to help you understand it better. Whether it's you think of some of the the great Christian art you have, where it does it adds little things to help you understand what's really going on, without actually adding to scripture. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, this this is also one of the things with the scriptures uh, being written that is very helpful for us, and and just you know the difference between watching um, watching things on a screen versus reading them is uh, when you read them, you have to engage your mind uh, in a certain way, and there's obviously the text limits you with how far you go with it, but uh, there, there's a certain creativity um, and imagination that you have to employ there. Uh, that gets you very actively engaged with the text and you, you begin asking questions. Whereas when you see something in a film, there's one interpretation and that's exactly how it has to be and it doesn't allow for anything else. And that I think is maybe uh, the real danger with putting something on film um, uh, from, from the Bible is that uh, not only do you have to fill in the gaps, but then you're basically saying, this is the only way that this um, this could right. happen and Jesus couldn't have been uh, doing this. Or uh, just think about... Um, uh, just think about Thomas, right? You know, what was he? Uh, what was he thinking? Why wasn't he with um, the other uh, disciples uh, on Easter evening? You know, was he um, uh, was he upset uh, with Jesus? Was he upset with somebody there in the room? Uh, was he out getting groceries? <laughs> um, was he like, well, hey, you guys are you guys are all going to gather together, and you're going to be really easy to find. Everybody knows where that happened. I'm going to be someplace else. <laughs> you know, um, but those are the kind of questions we have to ask, and um, that doesn't. That doesn't. Um, you don't want to go too far with that, um, b- but uh, you do have to uh, uh, kind of engage um, uh, with your imagination with the text and say, "Well, what actually? What actually was it like?" And that's a that's a very healthy thing for us to do, rather than just saying, "Well, here's 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 the way that I think Jesus was in in, in that scene," and that's all there is. And just like reading is different than seeing, also hearing is also different than reading. Mm-hmm. It also should be heard. Right. Agreed. I, I don't think, however, that uh, That's Michael not what is He's, he's making, not trying to say yeah, that. I, I don't think he's trying to make that point. Um, I, I would challenge him, though, that there are, um, and, and you guys know, and I know Michael knows this just as well as we do, um, that when we are translating from the original languages, from Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek into English, there are some turns of phrase that just don't work. I mean, we we uh, one of my favorite examples is looking at the Hebrew of Job from the great, I know that my Redeemer lives, at, and at the last he will stand. Um, we, we look at the very end of what he says there, uh, or at least the end of the Easter Sunday reading. Um, we always translate it as, my heart faints within me. The, the Hebrew actually says, my kidneys cease within my bosom. It just doesn't quite translate to what we understand in English. Right. Right. That sounds like something that happens after steroids. <laughs> Probably. My kidneys. My kidneys cease within my bosom. <laughs> All right, that's a good place to end. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good tagline, my kidneys. And next week, we'll, uh, we'll give you more medical advice and things that you can look forward to when you get older. <laughs> so, have any of you, either of you ever been on a podcast before? Yes. Oh, which one? Uh, I was on, I'm going to forget the name of it now, uh, The Lutheran Cartographer uh, a few uh, few months ago. And before that, I was on um, uh, the Augsburg panel, uh, which is done by uh, uh, Pastor uh, Jake Zabel out of, uh, um, out of Australia. Wow. So you're, you're, uh, you're, you're probably pretty uh, experienced at this. Oh, I'm a professional, that's for sure. That sounds, your podcasts are very academic. I've uh, only been on one other podcast. Well, no, that's not true. I've been on another one. I have uh, was with uh, Jonathan Fisk for a little bit, on, um, and I, I worked with uh, Sean Denzer, who now serves as the director of worship uh, down in St. Louis. So he tells us what to do on Sunday mornings. Um, Is he the guy with the beard? He's the beard, yes. He's not the stash, he's the beard. Um, but... <laughs> I, I also have been on uh, Table Talk Radio with Brian Wolfmuller and uh, Evan Gagline once. That was more than enough. But this is pretty much the best experience you ever had in a podcast, be honest. By far the most professional recording studio that I've ever been in. Oh, yeah. Nothing but the best. 
Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Hopefully, Peter, I'm sorry that we didn't include you. I wanted to let you sleep. Hopefully, we did right by you. Otherwise, you'll make us sound horrible, and you'll be angry and upset with us. Oh, well. It's only our careers on the line. So Seize the day, friend. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, and thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Traffigan. I'm Hamilton. And I'm Vicar. And may your kidneys not be in your bosom thank you for joining us this podcast is available on itunes google play spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts questions thoughts concerns you can contact us on facebook at facebook.com slash clerical heirs podcast on twitter at clerical heirs p for podcast or email us at feedback at clerical Thanks for listening to Clerical Airs. See you next time.